Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Thanksgiving, friends. We want to say thank you for your support. This year has been so much fun, and we want to give you a little gift. As you've heard on our past couple of episodes, we've joined the newly launched Christmas Podcast Network, a collection of the absolute best in holiday podcast entertainment. Last year, many of us came together for the reading of The House of Seven Santas. Keeping our tradition alive, we're releasing another crossover episode, this year sharing a little bit about our Christmas music traditions. Let's kick it off with Brian Earl from Christmas Past Podcast, the podcast that was a huge inspiration for us here at Tis the Podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Earl from Christmas Past. As a Massachusetts native, I feel a certain pride in knowing that some of our most beloved Christmas traditions began right in my own backyard. The first department store Santa Claus appeared in the city of Brockton, a 10-minute drive from where I grew up. And that well-known song, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, well, that was written by a minister from the nearby town of Wayland. And speaking of well-known Christmas songs, there's another one that came to be in the town of Medford, just a few miles north of Boston, in 1850. The town even placed a commemorative plaque marking the exact location where the song was written. But here's where it gets interesting. Savannah, Georgia has its own commemorative plaque making the same claim. This is the surprising story of one of the best-known and most-sung Christmas songs ever, one that isn't even truly a Christmas song, and the strange feud over its true birthplace. And it all centers on a songwriter named James, who was born in Massachusetts to a good family, the son of a Unitarian minister. His nephew was the famous financier J.P. Morgan. James himself was a bit of a wanderer. In his early teens, he'd run away to sea aboard a whaling ship, and then he served in the Navy and later tried and failed at going into business in California during the gold rush. He wrote songs for minstrel shows and for the Confederacy during the Civil War. He had joined a Confederate cavalry in Georgia, serving as a company clerk, even though his own family were abolitionists. All of this we know for certain. What we don't know for certain, and may never know, is when and where our story really begins. Here's how one side goes. James had a talent for music and an idea for a melody, but what he didn't have was a piano. So he bundled up against the November New England chill and trudged through the snow to Simpson Tavern, a boarding house and home to the town of Medford's one and only piano. And on that day in 1850, in the presence of one Mrs. Waterman, the proprietor of Simpson Tavern, James sat down at the piano and began the process of translating the idea in his head into notes and fingerings on the keyboard. The tune was simple and sweet and jaunty, and Mrs. Waterman is said to have called it a, quote, merry little tune. With the tune settled on, now all he needed were some lyrics, 
and James found inspiration in the quintessentially New England scenes all around him. In the snow covering the ground and the treetops, and the activities people partook of in the snow, in courtship, and betting on races. James set his verses and choruses to paper to accompany his merry little tune. Now, here's how the other side of the story goes. In 1857, James was living in Savannah, where he was the musical director of the Unitarian Church there. And as November approached, he found himself homesick for those snowy New England scenes that he had left behind. So when it was time for James to write a special song for the children's choir to sing at the Thanksgiving church service, he came up with this festive tune evoking the glory of crisp air and cheeks rosy from the cold and outdoor winter fun of the romantic variety. Now, for many years, Medford made its claim unchallenged, until one day in 1969, when a Savannah man named Milton Ron first made a counterclaim. Because after a little research, he was able to determine that James was living in Savannah when he published the song in 1857. And though it is possible that James wrote the song in Medford in 1850, it's unlikely that he'd wait seven years to publish it, so the argument goes, which apparently convinced enough people because in 1985, the mayor of Savannah erected the commemorative marker across from James's church. And that didn't sit too well with the folks in Medford. So a few years later, the mayor of Medford wrote an angry letter to the mayor of Savannah, declaring Medford to have the true and rightful claim, to which the mayor of Savannah replied with an angry letter of his own, standing his ground. And this is where we still are today, nearly 30 years later, with both sides claiming ownership and neither side willing to budge, and not much to go on in terms of settling the score once and for all. But it's easy to see why each place would want to stick to its guns, for bragging rights about being the true home to one of the most famous Christmas carols of all. One that doesn't even mention Christmas, or any holiday for that matter. One about courtship and racing and wintertime fun. The first song ever broadcast from space the jaunty little melody that children often learn as their first song on the piano, and which was first published in 1857 under its original title, The One Horse Open Sleigh, which the author would change two years later when republishing the song as Jingle Bells. I just love listening to Brian talk. He's got that perfect NPR voice. Next up, we're going to hear from Tim Babb of Can't Wait for Christmas, which is a comedy podcast uh, that I personally listen to every month on the 25th. Here, Tim is going to share his Christmas memories and delve into his five golden things of Christmas carols. Hi, I'm Tim Babb from the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. One of my most favorite Christmas traditions is caroling, getting together with a group of people going door to door and spreading the Christmas joy through song. It's the best. When I was in high school choir, we would actually break up into quartets at Christmas time and the teacher would rent us out to sing at parties or malls or wherever. It was a great way to raise money for our out-of-town concerts and it's where I learned quickly which carols were crowd favorites, which ones were the most fun to sing, and which ones had the most Christmas spirit. Now. On my show, I do a countdown feature called Five Golden Things, and today, I'm going to utilize that feature to list the five best songs to sing when you go caroling. Here we go! Number five. Silent Night. Silent Night. Oh. 
is the granddaddy of all carols. Everybody is gonna love it if you sing this song. We devoted an entire feature to this on my show, and it's a beautiful song that is revered the world over. It's also a great song to use as a cover if you're trying to tell your best friend's wife that to you, she is perfect. <gasps> Boom! Love Actually reference, baby! Nailed it! Number four. Joy to the world! Joy to the world, the Lord there are a lot of reasons to like this song. It's a little more upbeat than songs like Silent Night. It makes some use of some serious old-school grammar with The Lord Is Come. But for me, I especially like the harmony. If you're caroling with a bunch of musically inclined people, this is a great one to sing because it's just fun and it sounds great when you harmonize. Number three. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to the newborn King. This is a great one, because not only is it a classic Christmas carol, if you get nervous and forget the words, you can always pull a Charlie Brown and save yourself. Bells. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. My absolute favorite Christmas carol. For my money, it's the most singable Christmas carol there is. If you're trying to get the people you're singing to to sing along, this is the song. Everybody knows these lyrics. Wait, if this is your favorite Christmas song, why is it at number two? Well, imaginary listener, it sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. I'll tell you when we get to number one. But first, we've got an... Honorable Mentions! 12 Days of Christmas. On the 12th day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. Yes, if you're a choral group and you're renting yourself out by the hour, this is a song that will take up a good chunk of that hour because it's super long. Though, you might want to bring a cheat sheet. It can be hard to remember the gifts for each day. Maybe a podcast should do a deep dive into this song before the end of the year. Hmm. Anyway, on to... Number one. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Now, this is not my favorite carol, but it is the best one for keeping everybody's energy up. Not just for the song itself, but the unofficial parts of the song that everybody loves to shout out. Like a light bulb. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. Like Pinocchio. They never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer game. Like Monopoly. Whether you're the caroler or the audience member, shouting out like a maniac is always fun. And Rudolph gives you the chance to do it under the guise of Christmas spirit. Well, that's my list. Hope you enjoyed it. Let me know if you can think of some songs I left out that are great for Christmas caroling. In the meantime, who's next? Next up is Dwayne Bailey from Tinsel Tunes Podcast, who discusses the apocalyptic undertones of one of our modern Christmas classics. Whether you're singing quietly along while shopping at a mall, caroling by candlelight, or belting out a festive tune during a holiday party, you probably know the words to your favourite Christmas song, but what about their meanings? Songs like Do You Hear What I Hear has apocalyptic undertones. In 1962, during the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis, songwriters Noel Regney and Gloria Shane Baker, whom were married at the time, wrote it as a plea for peace during the threat of nuclear war, which was a very real fear of America at the time. Regney had been invited by a record producer to write a Christmas song, but he was hesitant due to the commercialism of the Christmas holiday. It has since sold tens of millions of copies and has been covered by hundreds of artists. When Bing Crosby or Johnny Mathis or Carrie Underwood sing of A Star, A Star, Dancing in the Night with a Tail as Big as a Kite, it conjures a mental vision of the biblical star of Bethlehem, leading the Magi to the Son of God. It also invokes a nuclear missile. 
During this time, the producer was in the studio listening to the radio to see if we had been obliterated, Rigney once explained. While on my way home, I saw two mothers with their babies in strollers. The little ones were looking at each other and smiling. This inspired the first line of the song, said the night wind to the little lamb. With this context, a perennial Christmas standard with a feel-good mood such as this song suddenly seems much more haunting, even modern. Not that it's not haunting on its own. Like many great Christmas songs, it is a one of call and response, and of dramatic shifts in volume and pitch. Each refrain begins with a question, sung solemn and low, and then jumps up the scales for the answer. This creates a sense of size, of craning upwards for revelation. The lyrics are expressive, highlighting a conversation between animate objects and not. For instance, a voice as big as the sea. The mentions of the child make the song Christian, but when there's the command for people everywhere to pray for peace, the import is beyond any one religion. Baker once said that because of the fearful mood of the nation at the time, she and Regney had a hard time singing Do You Hear What I Hear without crying. Our little song broke us up. Perhaps with the current state of the world, there's reason enough for it to have the same effect today, unfortunately. Next up, our friends over at Christmas Creeps talk about their Christmas soundtrack traditions. Fair warning, some of you may hear what you consider to be blasphemy in this episode. The views expressed here are solely those of the folks at Christmas Creeps in their private capacity and do not in any way represent the views of Tis the Podcast or any other Christmas Podcast Network entities. It should be quite obvious that Tis the Podcast has not approved, endorsed, or embraced this philosophy. Greetings, holiday shoppers. This is Joseph Wade here for Christmas Creeps. Uh, Today, I'm here with our good friend and music expert Libby Cudmore to discuss one of her favorite Christmas movie soundtracks. Libby, tell me, what is your favorite uh, Christmas movie soundtrack? My favorite Christmas movie soundtrack is, like, hands down, The Nightmare Before Christmas. That's a really good choice. Like, especially considering, like, it's one of the, it's like, I guess the only real Christmas movie that kind of transcends holidays. Like, you, once you hit October, you can put on Nightmare Before Christmas and then let it, let it send you right on through, you know, New Year's. Yeah. And it doesn't, there's something about it. I don't know if it's because it's tied to a film where I have a real thing with Christmas music where I don't, I don't want to hear it before December 1st. Like I will go into a rage if I hear it before December 1st, but the nightmare before Christmas is exempt from that rule because it's Danny Elfman and Danny Elfman can do literally whatever he wants at all times. Uh, but yet also like, cause it's, so much of it is also like Halloween music. So mm-hmm. it really, it really sort of serves dual purposes. Yeah. Which is and so great. You can kind of, it's a, uh, you could bridge through November and it's also just phenomenal. It's, it's just so, so well written. <laughs> You know, and so much of the so much of the music is tied to the story and so much of the story is told through song mm-hmm. that you can really get a full sense of the, the movie just by listening to the soundtrack. It's great. Yes. But um, it's I've had this on tape, CD, and now thanks to my friend Corey, uh, vinyl picture disc. Ooh. So this is one of the albums uh, that I have had uh, in all formats. That's that's always yeah. uh, that, that's the sign of a true fan right there. Oh yeah, no, I am hardcore. <laughs> I'm in for the Nightmare Before Christmas. So, um, among the songs in Nightmare Before Christmas, which one do you stands out as, I guess, the most Christmassy? Probably what's this is like that's my big 
uh, Christmas song, but I have been known to play Making Christmas while decorating my Christmas tree or wrapping presents. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, it's it's too it's too perfect, you know, because she's making Christmas. Make- <laughs> but, it's, but it's in that minor key. It's so like it's like a it's death so dirge when you're just like wrapping presents, making Christmas. Like you're on a symbi- you're on like a, a assembly line in like 192. Yeah. You know, there's coal dust everywhere. Yeah, and that's because I love I love Christmas, but I also am not super great. I'm terrible at wrapping presents and I'm mm-hmm. not real great about like I don't decorate for Christmas. And I think my husband would like to do like more and I like I insist on having a tree, but I don't do garlands and I don't do the whole thing, so it does feel a little bit and he's like let's do the tree. Like I got to do this. <laughs> so, so I you, like you- you need something that's going to like motivate you to like get the job done and yeah and i yeah. love the tree when it's up but the idea of like having to assemble our tree and get all the lights and everything on it is just like really it, it's it's kind of a chore making christmas yeah um, and shopping i hate shopping but so so yeah like making christmas is like the the, the really good uh song to put on when you're really trying to get things done for the holiday yeah. season but then what's this is that's the song that you play when it's like mid-november and you're you're finally ready to commit to christmas and it's yes. you're you're excited about it again you know yes and it's just the the that one to me i think the orchestration is so much better and danny elfman's voice is so beautiful it's so lilting and so it's like warm cocoa it just like goes just <laughs> through you and makes you feel good and it's just it's lovely. It's just pure loveliness. And every bit of his phrasing is gorgeous. And even just like as I'm picturing the scene in my head, it's just a beautiful scene and the colors are so gorgeous. And I do love, I love stop motion animation. Really, really do. Well, I'm looking up the lyrics for this real quick. Cause there's like one line, there's one couplet in here that I really, I've always loved one verse, I guess. There's children throwing snowballs instead of throwing heads. They're busy building toys, and absolutely no one's dead. Like, How did you know? A- that was the because, one. <laughs> because it's brilliant, and it's so weird. Yeah, it's it's the whole movie in, like, in like four lines. <laughs> I know, and just that, like, that throwing heads is something so innocent that they do, and mm. whereas, like, in the real world, like, that would be savage, and people would be dead, and, like, and absolutely no one's dead. And no like, one's dead here. It's great. I it's love so it. so weird. <laughs> people are alive here because obviously they're sentient in halloween town i mean they're a sentient skeleton and a sentient ragdoll but they're alive a sentient bug man right exactly everyone everyone's alive here and things are vibrant and colorful and everything that i'm not yeah is, that's kind of the theme of the, of the song but yeah like what's this it really is it's it sounds it sparkles it sounds like sparkles it is like the i think it's the one song on this entire soundtrack that you could play outside of the movie and it'd be mm-hmm. as as like a Christmas song on the radio. Yeah. Partly, partly because because everybody everybody loves it, but also yeah. just because like I don't know, it's the one thing that's really like vibrant and and excited to be a part of the Christmas season, you know? Yes. And just don't play it before December first or I'll get mad. Right. Thanks, Libby, for being here with me. Thank or, you for having me. Always. Anytime. Uh we will see y'all later. I'll see you later. And for more fun Christmas movie chatter, please visit us on the web at christmascreeps.com. Things are about to get weird in here with Weird Christmas. This is Craig Kringle from weirdchristmas.com. Why don't we wassail anymore? 
That's a Christmas music tradition we need to bring back. Caroling may be fun and all, but for most of us, going out in the cold to sing songs to people who don't really care, not a thing. But if you tell people you're going to take a massive bowler jug, fill it with some crazy strong spiced up liquor, and go around singing drinking songs and begging for money, you might get more takers. Because that's how people used to do Christmas, and they were better people than us. Now, if you don't think you've heard of wassailing, you're wrong. Everyone knows this song. Here we come a-caroling among the leaves so green. Here we come a-wandering so fair to be seen. But the way most of us know that song's a travesty, because it's really called Here We Come A-Wassailing, not caroling. It used to be all about getting seriously drunk on Christmas Eve, or even all through the 12 days and nights of Christmas, if you really had the spirit. A wassail cup is made of a rosette of every tree, and so is your beer of the best barley. Come to you, and to you your wassail... And not only was it about getting drunk, it was also about demanding that the people you're singing to give you more booze and that they give you some cash or tips because you're singing so well. Call up the butler of this house, put on his golden ring. Let him bring us a glass of beer and better we shall sing. God and joy come to you and to you your wassail too. And God bless you and send you a happy new year. And God send you a happy new year. Now that is a Christmas tradition. The other thing that's great about wassail is that it isn't just the thing that you do, like caroling for alcohol and tips. It was also the drink itself, or came to be around the 16th century or so. And this was no weak man's drink. This was some nasty-sounding stuff. A base of apple cider that ended up getting all frothed up with spices... Toast, yeah, they threw burnt bread in there, because why not? Eggs and roasted crab apples that were thrown in crazy hot and made the whole thing thick, sour, and gooey. Some people even called it lamb's wool because the apple pulp congealed into this stringy mess like an alcoholic honeycomb. Nothing like drinking a fermented sweater. Somehow, it just seems very English. But it goes back even further. Before the Christians made it to Britain, the apple farmers in the south would all go out to their orchards during the dark midwinter to throw cider on their trees and sing songs and chants to bring out a good harvest and fight off the evil spirits. That kind of morphed into the wandering and singing during Twelfth Night and New Year, and it's probably where Wassail got its apple cider base. And the word wassail itself even shows up in Beowulf, the old Anglo-Saxon epic poem, as a kind of salute to good health. There are even older legends of a King Vortigern who used the phrase to seduce a serving girl during a midwinter festival, and it kind of caught on. Anyway, all of that is why wassailing is in dire need of a comeback. Instead of sitting around watching It's a Wonderful Life for the 75th time, what if we all grabbed a lusty serving wench, or buff man servant, pick your poison, filled a huge bowl with some brown, frothy, nasty alcoholic muck, yelled at some trees and sang until our neighbors emptied their liquor cabinets and their wallets because that's what the tradition says they should do? Wouldn't that be a happier way to spend Christmas? I think so. And of course, the episode wouldn't be complete without our own take on Christmas music traditions from us, the elves at Tis the Podcast. Enjoy it. I would like to tell you about one of my Christmas traditions uh, having to do with music. And this one, I'm going to take it back a few years. It's not a tradition I continue, but it is something that means a lot to me because it was where my Christmases started. So back in Magnolia, Arkansas, where my grandma was, we would go every Christmas. And as we were decorating her handmade tree 
the form was handmade and all 225 ornaments were handmade in the depression era with bits and pieces of stuff that she could find. We would put old Christmas records on her record player. We would put the Elvis record on and we would put another record that I can't even tell you who sang it, but it was the weirdest, funniest old thing I've ever heard in my life. And we would sing and laugh because man, old records are like weird. Sometimes um, it's where my love slash hate relationship with Blue Christmas, Elvis's Blue Christmas, started. Um, and and to this day, when I hear it, I, I like the crackles of the vinyl if I can hear it, regardless of the fact that I really don't like that song, but I do kind of like it. Um, so, anytime I'm decorating the tree, in the back of my mind, I always hear vinyl Elvis. And I think very fondly of a family that's not really around anymore because they were old back then. Uh, so that's my music tradition. Um, what about y'all's? Every year, one of my favorite things we do as a family is we go to a lessons and carols service at Christine's parents' church. Um, it's a tradition that started at King's College in England, where the uh, choir and congregation sing Christmas hymns dispersed between different biblical readings, all building up to the birth of Christ. Um, it's a really fun service. We either do that or we go here. Handles Messiah. We have not been able to go for the last couple of years because of a crazy loud child, but we're going to try Lessons and Carols. Uh, we're actually going to try twice. We're going to try two services this year, and I'm really excited because it's just this this beautiful development of Christmas music and telling the Christmas story all in one. It just gives me all the feels. How about you, Anthony? I listen to Christmas music every year. <laughs> You, I don't wait. Uh, uh, that's not fair. You can't say every year because you don't stop listening to Christmas music. <laughs> uh, the years still go by. <laughs> um, no, I don't really have. I mean, we listen to music every year when we're decorating the tree. But like, you know, usually we'll just have one of our Christmas playlists on shuffle. There's not a specific album or anything we put on. It's just. Yeah. Our most recent album. So I have a Christmas playlist and I change the day every year. Um, That's cheating. Well, no, because I, I was going to say I change it every year. So while I have all these different albums with different covers of every song all loaded onto my iPod or whatever, iPod, iPhone, um, <laughs> I don't have an iPod still. I um, Every year, I, my playlist, I only like one version of each Christmas song on it, so I'm not hearing like five versions of Insert Christmas Carol here. So every year, I painstakingly go through this list and see what's staying, what's going, what's being replaced by a different uh, cover. There are a few that have changed recently. You said you don't have albums in heavy rotation. Christine and I, for several years, have had a couple of albums in heavy rotation. One of them is Sting's Winter's Night, which is amazing and has uh, him covering some older English Christmas hymns that you don't hear every day, like Soul Cake, which is fun. But my favorite is from an artist named Simon Hajar and his album, Finally Christmas. If you guys want to add a new Christmas tradition, I highly recommend it. You can find it on Bandcamp and it's amazing. 
I don't have specific traditions to go with Christmas music generally. There are certain covers of certain songs that bring up memories from Christmas's past for me. Not necessarily traditions, just specific memories. Speaking of those memories, I think Tom and I might have a new musical Christmas tradition that you are single-handedly responsible for. What? It's not Christmas until I hear you sing, it's Marley and Marley. <laughs> <laughs> it's Marley and Marley, every <laughs> <laughs> and there it is <laughs> bringing our love of movies and music together for you this Christmas season thanks so much for listening Merry Christmas Merry Christmas Merry Happy Christmas. New Year bye buddy hope you find your dad we hope you enjoy this very special crossover collaboration episode of Tis the Podcast and hope you tune in for the rest of our regular season. We are continuing with reviewing Christmas classics the next few weeks, and we have a lot of fun stuff on the agenda. Next week, we're covering Frosty the Snowman and its sequel, Frosty's Winter Wonderland. The week after, we're covering 2006's The Nativity Story, starring Oscar Isaac as Joseph. The week after that, we're covering the 80s cult classic, Santa Claus the Movie. Our Christmas week episode, we are covering the beloved A Christmas Story. And our last episode of the year will be talking about Christmas music and talking about how our holidays went. In addition, look for bonus episodes in our regular feed in which we talk about the new Netflix film starring Kurt Russell as Santa Claus, The Christmas Chronicles, in addition to a special Christmas Day mini episode of Tis the Podcast. So we have a lot of fun stuff coming up. As always, thank you all for your support. Thank you all for listening and reviewing us on iTunes and wherever else you find our podcast. We really appreciate it. The show wouldn't exist in its current form without all of you. And we're eternally grateful for you guys. Or should I say thankful, as it's the Thanksgiving season. So if you could help to not only spread the word about our show by leaving us reviews, sharing our social media pages, and helping us spread the Christmas cheer 365 days a year by letting others know about us. We also encourage you to subscribe to the other Christmas Podcast Network shows, Christmas Past, Weird Christmas, Can't Wait for Christmas, Tinsel Tunes, Hallmark and Jess, Christmas Creeps, etc. They're all so diverse. They're all wonderful shows. The hosts are wonderful, as you could tell from this episode. And uh, you can find a feed of all of the most recent episodes from all of our shows at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. So check it out. Spread the word to all of your other Christmas-loving family and friends. Until next week, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) 